Hi, we're Maureen and Scott Proctor, and we welcome you to our new Come Follow Me podcast. We love to talk, discuss, enjoy, and celebrate the scriptures. This is our passion. It's why we do Meridian, and it's why we are talking to you today. We are the publishers and editors of Meridian Magazine. We've taught Institute for 18 years. We've written a number of books on scripture and the history of the church. And mostly, we just love scripture and so excited to talk about it. Special thanks to Paul Cardall for providing music for this podcast. Now, we hope that you'll study along and listen to this podcast in your car, in the kitchen, or while you're reading the scriptures. We just want it to become kind of a part of your life. We've been invited to do study groups. This is one of them. So let's begin with lesson one. I love how this starts because the beginning says, I am responsible for my own learning. With this new change in the way we do things in the church, we have the chance to come home and study the scriptures on our own. I believe this is the Lord's way of giving us his trust and saying, I know you can do this. Because sometimes we've been spoon-fed with our spirituality. We Hope that the gospel doctrine teacher has a great lesson prepared. And did we prepare? Did we read the lesson in advance to come to Sunday school? Well, I didn't read it this week. Oh, oh well, he'll have a good lesson or she'll have a good lesson. And, and it doesn't always work out that way. We think someone else is responsible for our learning. We come away from the lesson and we say, hmm, that wasn't a very good lesson or that was a great lesson. And we still are kind of entitled. We're waiting for them to give us that spirituality. So now we have to take responsibility, as we always should have taken responsibility for our own learning. So this is a day of determination. We need to determine today how we're going to use our agency. Are we going to make the scriptures a part of our everyday life? You know, Joshua said, choose ye this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Neil Maxwell said about that scripture. However, Joshua didn't say, choose you next year whom you will serve. He spoke of this day while there is still daylight and before the darkness becomes more and more normal. What an interesting idea, the darkness becoming more normal. Neil Maxwell continued, when Jesus called his first disciples, the scriptures record that they left their ships and nets straightway. They didn't ask to join Jesus after the fishing season. They didn't even delay their response in order to make just one more catch. They left straightway. At my brothers and sisters, he said, for once the soul is tilted toward belief, and once there is even a desire to believe, then marvelous things begin to happen. Act now so that a thousand years from now, when you look back at this moment, you can say, this was a moment that mattered. This was a day of determination. He said, the truth is that not yet usually means never. Trying to run away from the responsibility to decide about Christ is childish. I love that idea that this is a day of determination for all of us. So let's be determined. Let's begin. And I love in section 58 how the Lord really tells us that we need to be anxiously engaged in many righteous things and bring about much righteousness on our own. I was thinking about Enos in the Book of Mormon because you remember, you all know the story of Enos. He went into the woods to hunt beasts and he started thinking about the words of his father and he started thinking about his own life and he prayed to have forgiveness for his sins. And after a long prayer, I mean, it went all day long and then into the night as he finally reached the heavens and the spirit or the voice of the Lord spoke to him and said, Enos, thy sins be forgiven thee. And I love what Enos says. He says, and I, Enos, knew that God could not lie. Wherefore, 
my guilt was swept away. So that teaches us something that, first of all, God cannot lie. And second of all, when Enos realized that, his guilt was swept away immediately. And so for us, if we can exercise that kind of faith, if we know that his promises are sure, if we know absolutely that God cannot lie, then we can exercise great faith in him. And think about the kinds of promises he's made to us. For example, if you draw near unto me, I will draw near unto you. That's a promise from one who cannot lie. And I can't think of anything I want more than to have him draw near unto me. I love what Jeremiah says. It's in chapter 29. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And what is that end? Then ye shall call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all of your heart, and I will be found of you. Now, this is a promise from someone who cannot lie. That's an immense and incredible thing that we're promised if today we make that determination to really become a devoted disciple of Christ in every way that we are asked. That really has the same power of that Enos scripture, I will be found of you. I just love that. It just gives me so much confidence to come to the Lord and seek to find answers from him because he is the source of all truth. Yes, sometimes we get the idea that he is going to be hard to find or that he wants to hide from us or that somehow we can't approach him. He won't be there for us. And he says just the opposite here. He says, if we will determine to use our agency to act on this journey with our whole hearts, that he will be found. That brings us to First Nephi chapter 10, verse 17. You're welcome to follow along if you go to that verse. It's worth looking at closely because in that verse, Nephi has just listened to his father recounting the vision that he had of the tree of life. And he's thrilled about it. But he's so thrilled that he wants to find out all about it for himself. And he wants to know the meaning of that. And so it, in verse 17, it says, And it came to pass that after I, Nephi, having heard all the words of my father concerning the things which he saw in a vision, and also the things which he spake by the power of the Holy Ghost, which power he received by faith on the Son of God, and the Son of God was the Messiah who should come. I, Nephi, and watch this really closely, I, Nephi, was desirous also that I might see and hear and know of these things by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is the gift of God unto all those who diligently seek him, as well in times of old as in the time that he should manifest himself unto the children of men. So here is this Nephi showing us the way, showing us an example that he could receive the same things that his father had received. And what's so interesting about this is that Laman and Lemuel are meanwhile in a tent discussing and even arguing about the things that their father told them. But Nephi takes a different route and knowing that God is good on his promises and knowing that he, Nephi, had this huge desire, he went to him in prayer and with this full confidence that he would be answered. So if we're going to liken the scriptures unto ourselves, then we need to look at our own desires and say, do we too have that kind of desire? Do we want to know the things that the Lord teaches us through the Holy Scriptures? Do we want to understand them and apply them in our lives? In this modern world, this very 
confusing, sometimes tumultuous world. How do we know the truth of these things and how do we apply them into our lives? What's so great about this too is that the Lord wants to give us these desires if we don't have them. Sometimes we think, well, I wish my desires were a little more intent. I see Nephi has these huge desires, but do I? And so that's something we can pray for. Lord, give me desire to come to thee. Give me desire to know thy word in the scripture. Give me desire. And the Lord will take even that very humble prayer and answer it. In fact, he loves that particular prayer, I think. I've had my own experience with that prayer. That brings us to John 5.39. This is a scripture many of us learned back in seminary days. But I love the scripture, but I love it in context. Because uh, the scripture, of course, as you know, is... Search the scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. This is the Savior speaking. He's giving this imperative. It's a commandment. Search the scriptures. But then he's talking to the Jews here, and the Jews had kind of had this uh, concept that if they had the scriptures, they would obtain eternal life. They Just by having them, just by studying them, that's how they would obtain eternal life. But he was saying to them, Search them, for they're the ones that point to me. They're the ones that are going to bring you to me, and I'm the one that can give you eternal life. And so I love that. And this word search is like, it's not just a, it's not a passive commandment. It's, it's a, it means dig, dig deep, dig like you're digging a mine for, you're trying to find the mother load. And as you dig deeper and deeper and deeper, and you find the mother load, you find that that is the Savior. That's who you find. And isn't it interesting, those answers you find when you're digging deep are the ones that mean the very most to you. It's also this huge compliment from the Lord because he says, I know you have the intellect and spiritual resources to be an agent in finding these answers and the Holy Ghost will give them to you as you actively search. It becomes such a wonderful dynamic between you and the Lord as you are actively searching the scriptures. And yes, it's a skill that can be learned, but it is something that grows stronger and stronger and stronger as we seek to do it. I also love Isaiah 34, 16. And it's again a verse that talks about the sure promises of the Lord. He says, Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read no one of these shall fail. Mm. In other words, not one thing that he's saying is going to fail. You can count on what he has said. That's amazing in a world where you can't count on very much of anything. We don't even know what tomorrow looks like for any of us. And we live in worlds where fads come and go and governments come and go and things change constantly. But God is someone we can count on. And he says, no one of these things shall fail that he tells us in scriptures. What a foundation and a sense of security to have in your life. Well, Joshua gives us that same teaching at the end of his life. He apparently gives this on the day that he's going to die. He says, behold, this day I am going the way. And this is Joshua 23, verse 14. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. That is Joshua's dying testimony. He says, you know, and I love how he tells the whole congregation of the children of Israel, you know 
that nothing has failed, that all that the Lord has spoken has come to pass, and you are witnesses this day. What a sure place to be in our lives, to be tethered to the Lord through covenant and through these promises that we absolutely know he will fulfill because he cannot lie. Such an incredible thing. I love those verses from the very first section of the Doctrine and Covenants too. This is verse 37 and 38. It is, search these commandments for they are true and faithful and the prophecies and promises which are in them shall all be fulfilled. My goodness, he tells this idea again and again throughout scripture that his promises and his prophecies shall all be fulfilled. And then there's a stunning verse 38. What I, the Lord, have spoken, I have spoken, and I excuse not myself. And though the heavens and the earth pass away, my word shall not pass away, but shall all be fulfilled, whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants. It is the same. And again, that sense of assurance, his word shall all be fulfilled. We don't need to be insecure for one moment in this world when we are tied and tethered to the Lord and his word. His word is sure. And I love how this has been renewed to us now in our time. Right recently, when President Nelson gave his, what I call, seminal talk on Revelation in the um, April 2018 General Conference, he not only talked about him receiving revelation for the church, he talked about us receiving revelation for ourselves. And he not only encouraged us, he implored us to seek for personal revelation. He said, pray in the name of Jesus Christ about your concerns, your fears, your weaknesses, yes, the very longings of your heart, and then listen. Write the thoughts that come to your mind. Record your feelings and follow through with actions that you are prompted to take. As you repeat this process day after day, month after month, year after year, you will grow into the principle of revelation. I love that from the prophet of the Lord saying that the Lord trusts us and, and the prophet trusts us. He says, go seek your own personal revelation about anything that concerns you. And what's so interesting is he doesn't say you have to be perfect at it today or you're somehow a failure. He says, in fact, he implores for all of us to be learners. Know that we are to learn. We don't have to be some perfect finished specimen at this point. We get to learn this process and we get to learn how to connect with the Lord. And I just love that when he said, does God really want to speak to you? Yes. It gives me great joy to know he wants to speak to me. President Nelson continued, I urge you to stretch beyond your current spiritual ability to receive personal revelation. For the Lord has promised that if thou shalt seek, thou shalt receive revelation upon revelation, knowledge upon knowledge, that thou mayest know the mysteries and peaceable things that which bringeth joy, that which bringeth life eternal. And then he said, oh, there is so much more that your Father in heaven wants you to know. And then he quoted Elder Maxwell, to those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, it is clear that the Father and the Son are giving away the secrets of the universe. Nothing opens the heavens quite like the combination of increased purity, exact obedience, earnest seeking, daily feasting on the words of Christ in the Book of Mormon, and regular time committed to temple and family history work. President Nelson gives us there a formula for how to receive revelation. He gives us those six things, and it's worth looking at that very paragraph over and over again and pondering about that to see how that applies to us. Again, we had to look at that a little closer. Nothing opens the heavens quite like, number one, the combination of increased purity, 
exact obedience, earnest seeking, daily feasting on the words of Christ in the Book of Mormon, and of course, in the New Testament and other scriptures, and regular time committed to temple and family history work. That is just amazing what will happen. It is. I want the heavens opened for me, and I bet everyone in this audience wants the heavens opened for them. And so we're invited to learn how to do that through this very incredible formula that we're given. Why would we ever resist the Lord when we're being told so very specifically what it takes to open the heavens? Why would we resist doing any of that? And yet we have to confess that sometimes we do resist. We do. And I think we resist in very subtle ways. Sometimes we have impressions and we think, oh, that's probably not an impression. Or we have an inclination towards doing some good thing. And we think, ah, maybe some other time, or I'm not going to do it right now. Maybe I'll do it later. I think that is a small view of resistance to the Spirit of the Lord. Just those little things. Parley P. Pratt used to say, the Lord entrusts us with small things so that he can trust us with the big things. I like that because sometimes the small things are say hello to this particular brother or say hello to this particular sister or you need to call so-and-so or you need to turn this way with your car or you need to go to this person's home and see them. Those are all what we would consider little things, but the Lord is entrusting us with them because I'm sure he has bigger things to give to us. I also think it's interesting that sometimes we resist the Lord because we think it will be an imposition on our will. We want to do it our way. We want to walk in our own way. And we think that somehow being a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ means it involves discipline. Disciple and discipline are linked words. And really, we resist joy. We resist expansion of mind and heart. We resist all the things that are delicious to us. And that leads us absolutely. And that leads us to Alma 32, which is talking about planting the word in your heart. He talks about comparing the word unto a seed and planting that seed in our hearts. He says now, and this is Alma 32, 28, now we will compare the word unto a seed. Now, if you give place that a seed may be planted in your heart, in other words, the word is planted in your heart by study, by studying the scriptures, behold, if it be a true seed or a good seed, if you do not cast it out by your unbelief that you will resist the spirit of the Lord, behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts. And when you feel those swelling motions, you will begin to say within yourselves, it must needs be that this is a good seed or that the word is good for it beginneth to enlarge my soul. Yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding. Yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. What more would we ever want than something that expands us in that way and that is delicious to us? And that's what the Lord promises as we make the scriptures a center of our lives and plant that word in our heart as, as if we would plant a seed. Well, then he continues in verse 37. He says, And behold, as the tree beginneth to grow, ye will say, Let us nourish it with great care that it may get root, that it may grow up and bring forth fruit unto us. And now behold, if ye nourish it with much care, it will get root and grow up and bring forth fruit. And it's interesting that when you put that fruit inside of you and it begins to grow. It it grows into a tree of life, which is the very symbol of Jesus Christ. A tree of life grows inside of you. It also means that your frame of reference for your whole life are these words of the Lord that you're putting into your mind and heart. I'm reminded of something that happened to us just recently. We have a, a piece of land up on a mountaintop with some beautiful soaring pine trees and we go there 
often to walk and feel a little bit of peace. But there was a fire that came this summer to Utah in this dry, dry season of drought. And everything was just the perfect condition for this fire. And this fire, which started at 100 acres, grew to 200 and then 1,000 and then 10,000. We watched it leaping in great bounds toward our mountain and our property. We were really concerned that it would be burned in the fire as so many other beautiful stretches of forest were being burned. So Scott, you and I went to the top of a mountain and we had we had a really special prayer. We could see from the top of that mountain that fire coming toward us. In fact, by this time, the fire was had gone around to the south of us. It was off to the west of us, coming towards the east. It was off to the north of us. It was as if we were completely surrounded by these fires. And they go so quickly that you just don't know from day to day how quickly that will come and how fast it can jump. And so we just started pleading with the Lord. Yes, in fact, we took one last walk on our own piece of property, kind of saying goodbye to it because we thought it would burn. But we went to the top of that mountain. We pled with all of our hearts. But because we know the scriptures well, we know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were cast into a fiery furnace by uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And it was a furnace that was extremely hot. And they said that they would not bow down and worship thee idol, the 90-foot idol that the king of Babylon wanted them to worship because they worshiped the true and living God. And they knew he was able to save them. But if not, be it known, king, that this is the Lord that we serve. And so as we watched that fire coming toward us, we said we would really hope that the blessing would come to our lot, that it would not be burned. But if not, we will still be devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. We will not feel unanswered or unloved or somehow cynical because this prayer was not answered. And it's because we were at that moment letting the scriptures furnish our mind. And then just a few weeks later in Paradise, California, we interviewed so many members of the church who had lost their homes in a raging fire that had come through their beautiful town. And interestingly enough, they felt the same protective power that we had asked for from the Lord, even though their houses had been burned, they had that sense that the Lord loved them and protected them. And but if not, and in this case, it was but if not, the Lord was in the fiery furnace with them as he had been in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just an example that when you let the scriptures furnish your mind, it changes your mind. It expands your mind. You think of things in relationship to the true attributes of God, and you are less torn and thrown about by every wind of doctrine. You're a solid. You know, as you read the scriptures this year, as we study the New Testament together, as we try to understand the ministry of the Lord, his mortal ministry here on this earth, pay attention to those scriptures which speak to you personally. And this happens to us often. We'll be reading the scriptures and just a verse, maybe we've read it before, and the verse just seems to leap off the page to us, and it's just, it starts to speak to us. Pay attention to those. I call them trigger scriptures. We see it in the history of the church. Joseph Smith, of course, experienced this a number of times, but one particular main time he experienced it. This was, of course, in, in James 1, 5. That is, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. I love that scripture because it says that the Lord gives liberally when we ask questions. And upbraideth not means he doesn't get 
angry at us because we're ignorant or that we don't know or that we're confused. He wants to give liberally to us these answers, and so often these answers are found in the pages of Scripture. Or reading Scripture conditions our whole spirit to be open to receive that light and revelation that is available to us. I love what Joseph said about after he read the Scripture. He said, no passage of Scripture ever came with greater force to the heart of man than this one did at this time to mine. That's what a trigger scripture is. And later on, when he and Sidney are translating the Bible, they get to John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, and they see this about the resurrection of the just, and they start looking at this, and it comes out at them as never before. And then that is the trigger that allows them to see the great vision of the three degrees of glory. Joseph F. Smith is the same way. He's pondering the scriptures in his room. He's studying from 1 Peter, and he's pondering about the atonement and reflecting upon the atonement and about that time when the Savior went in to preach to them who were in the spirit prison. And this opened his mind to a great vision of the redemption of the dead. And that we have a section 138 now. So pay attention to those trigger scriptures. Pay attention to scriptures that speak to you on that particular day. They will come out to you and they will invite you to revelation. I love that. They will also give us protection from the adversary. It is so interesting that we have our perfect exemplar, Jesus Christ, who obviously knew the scriptures perfectly from the time of his youth. It is interesting that when he goes into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and nights and be with his father, when he is hungered and famished, Satan comes to him and he tempts him, first of all, that he turned the rocks into bread. And how does Jesus answer every single temptation? He answers by quoting a scripture to Satan. For example, when Satan says, turn these stones to bread, uh, Jesus answers, it, it is written, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And then when Satan tempts him to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple and the angels who are given charge to protect him would protect him right before all of those who would be there in a, in a very direct show that he had this kind of divine power. Jesus answered, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, complete quoting of scripture. So it is clear that if we want to protect ourselves from the adversary, we have the scriptures in our mind, in our heart, and ready to go. Now, as we uh, come to a close of this particular podcast, of this first podcast on the Come Follow Me curriculum, we want to give you a challenge. We are at a place where we need to commit to read the scriptures and make them a part of our lives every day. I have to say from my own witness, I had a wonderful father who was always encouraging me to read the scriptures when I was uh, starting into seminary, and I was very resistant to that. I just thought, I don't think that's very important, and I don't, you know how teenagers are, and I was that way. I just thought I wasn't going to start reading them every day. It just seemed like a waste of time. I had a lot of things to do, and, and he kept encouraging me, Scott, I promise you, if you'll read the scriptures, you'll get more out of them than what you put into them. And that's what he kept saying, you'll get more out of them than what you put into them. And I started getting curious about that. So when I make a commitment, I really want to make a commitment. And so I did so. I finally made the commitment that I would read the scriptures every day, but I said I would read them every day the rest of my life. And I've never missed. It's been 46 years and five months and a number of days, and I've never missed. I've never missed a day. And today is the day for you. Now, 20 years ago or 10 years ago might have been the perfect day for you to start reading the scriptures every day. But let's say you're listening to this and it's um, December 30th, 2018, or maybe it's December 27th or December 31st, and maybe it's January 1st, 2019. A great day to start. 
whatever day it is, mark the day and say, I will read the scriptures every day for the rest of my life. I will never miss. We're big kids now, and the Lord has said, I am allowing you to study these scriptures at home. I'm entrusting you with this. He's giving us this opportunity to read and study at home. Make the most of it. Do it daily. You'll be so blessed. Uh, Elder Bednar said, as learners, you and I are to act and be doers of the word and not simply hearers who are only acted upon. Are you and I agents who act and seek learning by faith, or are we waiting to be taught? and acted upon. A learner exercising agency by acting in accordance with correct principles opens his or her heart to the Holy Ghost and invites his teaching, testifying power, and confirming witness. Learning by faith requires spiritual, mental, and physical exertion, not just passive reception. So this is the day. I love that idea that you act instead of be acted upon. In fact, Scott, you've told me that if you ever go into a coma, for any reason, that I am to read the scriptures to you every day while so you're in I a don't coma miss. so that he doesn't I miss. I do not want to miss a day, And we've ever. made that challenge to many of our children and many of our students over the years who have taken that and have said to us when we run into them later, it's been six years, it's been 10 years, it's been 14 years since the day I determined and committed to reading the scriptures every day. So this is an act of faith. But I love what President Kimball said about Joseph Smith He's, and, and faith. He said, remember that there were no heavenly beings in Palmyra, on the Susquehanna, or on Camorra, when the soul-hungry Joseph slipped quietly into the grove, knelt in prayer on the riverbank, and climbed the slopes of the sacred hill. His faith and his hunger and his absolute dedication to the Lord is what brought these experiences to him. They weren't having Sunday school in the grove the day Joseph arrived. He went there by himself. And so we'll go there by ourselves to our scriptures, and we'll find that we're not by ourselves at all. But the Spirit will be with us. The Lord will guide us. We will receive answers that will surprise us and bring us great joy. And we make this charge to you and to ourselves to continue to study the scriptures with an eye to learning heavenly things. Next week's lesson will be Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1. And so as we get together, it will help if you've read these chapters. The lesson is entitled, Be it unto me according to thy word. We'll see you next time. Looking forward to it.